Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good morning. How is everybody? All right. It's good to be here this morning. You see all your faces. You know, it's not as fun as when there's nobody out there, <laughs> you know. So I've had a good week. I hope you've had a good week this, this week. Uh, we've had like, uh, you know, gale force winds for about four days. And, you know, the, uh, I thought of a scripture that uh, it says the trees of the field were clapped their hands. And they clapped today. They clapped this four-day standing ovation this week, let me tell you. And I'm sure their hands were tired. Uh, years ago, we used to go to uh, a church in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, and we would go there from time to time and, and uh, visit, and they would come to Emory and visit us as well. And when you go there, you're a guest, so they, they get you the, the best seat in the house. It's in the front. And so services start about 10 o'clock, and uh, they start singing. Everybody's clapping. You're in the front seat. You feel obligated to clap. You know, you're, you're clapping. But so we got in there about 10. Service was over. We took a break for, for lunch about 2 for about an hour. Went back about 3 and stopped at 6. And there was no messing around. But I just remember my hands was hurting so bad. <laughs> we're clapping just for hours on end while they were singing. And you just, you know, feel kind of obligated. So the trees of the field had plenty to clap about. This week, didn't they? Well, I want to thank the uh, leadership for allowing me to share with you today. And uh, hopefully that you can glean something from this. And I pray that not my words, but his word will encourage you. In spite of all my faults and my failures, that his word will come forth as he intends it to be. I'm talking today about the goodness of Yahweh. You, might, you may have heard that expression, the goodness of God, the goodness of Yahweh. When we hear these words, you know, what do we think it means? Now, we see people all the time who speak boldly of the goodness of Yahweh or the goodness of God, if you will, while living in complete disobedience and in sin, thinking that Yahweh's goodness is going to give them a pass. This is kind of their their mindset, you know. And then you also see those who see Yahweh as a disciplinarian who is quick to execute justice. And they struggle with the idea of the goodness of Yahweh. They, they're always thinking that those who embrace this idea, this thought, they're always trying to get away with something. They're trying to escape the consequences of their disobedience. That's kind of their mindset. Yahweh's out to get you. You've got you to stay in, in, in line. And I've also heard people say that, that Yahweh doesn't pursue us. He has laid out a plan, a perfect plan, a beautiful plan, and he expects us to get our act together and follow him. But he don't really, he's already done his work, and he's not doing anything else. And on the other hand, we see people who see Yahweh as some sugar daddy in the sky who's going to give them all the, the you know, selfish desires and the ambitions of their heart. This is what he's there for. Just call upon him. He'll give you all these things. 
Well, I think we need to understand a few principles because the Bible speaks a lot about the goodness of Yahweh. <clears throat> but we need to understand a few things. Uh, and something that Jose brought out here oh, a few, couple months ago, that, that we are all one race, we are all one blood, and the same, same set of parents, created in the image of the Most High. In other words, we're all children of the Most High. Okay? We have all been disobedient to the Father. That happened through Adam and Eve. We've been disobedient, and our sentence is death. It's, it's irrevocable. It's death. If you continue in disobedience, you will die. But the goodness of Yahweh has made a way that we, we can be reunited with the Heavenly Father in fellowship with Him. He's made a way for that. Let's turn to Romans, if you will. Romans 5. Romans 5, starting with verse 8. It says, But Yahweh demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. While we were yet sinners, much more then, having, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of Yahweh through Him. So there's, there's, there's the wrath of Yahweh on sinners. We're going to be saved from that. Even while we hated the Father. Well, while we were enemies, we were enemies. You ever had your, you ever rec be reconciled to your enemy? Somebody who's your enemy? Somebody who you just can't get along with, you just fight with all the time? You know, they, you know, they extend the olive branch, if you will. You ever do that? It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to Yahweh. Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. <clears throat> and not only this, but we also exult in Yahweh through our master, Yahshua Messiah, through whom we now have reconciliation. This is the plan that Yahweh has laid out, to be reconciled back to him. While we were enemies, before we ever desired him, he, he, he done this for us. Now, the way I see this, it sounds like that's a God who's pursuing his creation. I hadn't done anything good. I don't even care about the Heavenly Father. But he's making a way. He's making, he has a plan. That sounds to me like somebody who's pursuing his creation. 2 Peter 3.9 says that Yahweh is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Yahweh didn't have to do this. He didn't have to make this plan, but he did because we're created in his image and he loves us. John 3.16 is another verse that shows how Yahweh pursues his people. You know, we all know this. For Yah so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know this by heart. You've heard it a hundred times. That's another example of Yahweh pursuing his creation. We was in a Bible study here a few weeks ago, 
and this scripture was read, and I thought, wow, uh, that's pretty, I had never really thought about it this way. But here in Revelation 14, we're reading through Revelation, and we see all these plagues coming around, these angels flying everywhere, and, and, and these horns, trumpets blowing, and, and I mean, we're at the end of the age, and it's just doom and gloom if you look through all this. We know that it's, the culmination is, is happening when we read through Revelation, don't we? In Revelation uh, 14, and starting with verse 6, it says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear Yahweh and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. You've heard this scripture a hundred times, right? But what got me, here is all this destruction going on, all this chaos, and we know it's, it's, it's about to wrap up. We're at the end of the book, if you will. And there's this other angel preaching the everlasting gospel at this very last hour, Yahweh's got another angel. He said, okay, the door's about to be shut here. I'm giving you another chance at the, very, at the end of the age. And I thought, wow, that is incredible that, that it, it didn't happen way back. I mean, this is, this is in all this chaos. And Yahweh has sent another angel to preach the eternal gospel. This is truly the goodness and pursuit of Yahweh, as I, as I see it, that he would offer up another chance to accept his gift of redemption. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 33. I'm going to read something here that when I was working on this, it kind of jumped out at me, and I hadn't really expected this. But I think it's pretty cool. So starting Exodus 33, 18. So let's just back up here. We, we know that, that the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They have been in bondage. They have been in slavery. And they have had all these plagues going on. And Yahweh has showed himself very strong. And he's, he, he showed them all these things that are, have happened. And, and he delivered them miraculously out of, out of Egypt. And he goes up. So they, they're kind of ignorant. They've been, you know, pretty steeped in, in Egyptian tradition and Egyptian uh, rule for such a long time. That's how, they, that's how they look. That's how they think. So Moses goes up to the mountain and he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. Yahweh's going to give them. So he gets the Ten Commandments and he's gone, you know, 40 days. So, I mean, he's gone a, a fair amount of time. But they get kind of impatient, don't they? You know the story? They say, well, we got, we got to, we want something to worship. We, you know, that's just how we are. We want something to worship. We're going we're gonna to figure out something to worship. And it may not be just bowing down like we envision, but we're going to find something to worship. So anyhow, they find something to worship, and they build this golden calf. Moses comes down. He sees all this stuff that, that Yahweh just told him. He just wrote down, said, hey, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. So he gets pretty upset, breaks the Ten Commandments, and he goes back up on the mountain to get the second edition. Just like the first edition, just a little different. So anyhow, in Exodus 33, 18, 
Moses is up there. He says to Yahweh, he says, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And Yahweh said, I myself will make my, all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So here again, this is another scripture you've heard, you've read, you've seen it a hundred times. But something jumped out at me on this. <clears throat> Moses specifically asked Yahweh to show him his glory. This is the words he used. Show me your glory. And what did Yahweh say? I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. He doesn't say, I'm going to make my glory pass before you. He says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of odd. So I look up these words <clears throat> in the concordance. And the word glory is 3519. It says... It means weight, honor, esteem, majesty, abundance, wealth. That's what glory means. Now, these definitions are closely tied to the position that one holds or position that Yahweh holds. He is strong. He is honor. It could be said of a, uh, an earthly leader or a ruler or a king on earth. He's got glory. He's got honor. He's got weight. You've heard of the weight of his glory. You've heard that expression before. He's abundant. He's got wealth. He's got all this glory. And that's what Moses said, I want to see. But Yahweh says, I'm going to show you my goodness. So you look up the word goodness, and it's 2898 in Strong's. Now, goodness means beauty, excellence, cheerfulness, well-being, Good things, wealth, prosperity, welfare, property, fairness, graciousness. That's quite different than glory, isn't it? I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty bizarre. Two different meanings here. And when I look at this, I see is that it's more defining a character of a person. These things are defining a character of a person. Now, any king and authority, they can command honor. They can command glory, can't they? Because they're the king. Anybody in, the, in, the, in that position, they, can, they, they deserve respect, and they can command that respect. All this pomp and all this abundance that that position demands. But just because a king has glory doesn't mean that they have goodness, Right? There's many, many kings, many, many rulers, many, many leaders throughout time who have had glory. But they didn't have goodness. They wasn't good. Matter of fact, they're probably quite evil. So Yahweh's telling Moses, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. It seems to be to me that, that Yahweh is saying to Moses, I don't need to show you my glory. I've already showed you my might. At the burning bush, when it wasn't consumed, I showed you my glory. I've, I, you know, just miraculous that you even survived, you know, Egypt when you was a child. I've showed you my glory there. 
And here we are. We just went through all these, these tribulations and all these trials you know, in, in Egypt and delivered you out with a strong hand. I have showed you my glory there. I provided manna. When we come out of there, I provided manna for you to eat. I showed you my glory again. I provided quail, abundance of quail. It made you sick. I've showed you my glory again. I performed the impossible in the desert. And the water come out of a rock. I showed you my glory even again. And even now on this mountain, you've seen all the, the quaking and the smoke and the fire and the, and the loud trumpets that, that just pierce your ears. I have showed you my glory. It's like Yahweh is saying, there's more to me than this glory. I want you to not only see my might, but I want you to see my character. I want you to see my fairness toward you, my cheerfulness and my graciousness. That's how I want you to see me. I want you to see my beauty and my goodness that I have toward you. That's what Yahweh was wanting to show Moses. I want, to, I want you to know the plans that I have for you. The plans that I have for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. This comes out of Jeremiah. Moses probably didn't hear those exact words. But this in Jeremiah we read, I want, to know the, I want you to know the plans I have for you. I have plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. You know when that was written? That's when Judah had been taken off to captivity. They had already had who knows how many of their men killed. How many of them had starved. How many of them had just lost all hope. Because here we are now. They have burned our city and we're in, we're in captivity. Yahshua said, Yahweh says, I have plans for you. In all of this, my goodness, there's a plan in all of this. Every week at the end of services, we, we say the blessing that Aaron was supposed to speak over Israel. In Numbers 6, 24 and 26, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Verse 27, it says, so shall they invoke my name. This is, he's, basically what he's saying is, is, this is how I want you to remember me. This is, when you, when you hear the name Yahweh, this is how I want you to perceive it. One who is going to bless you and keep you. But what do we think it means? I uh, pulled up a little, little deal from Jeff Benner, he's an uh, author who writes books and he teaches you how to read Hebrew, how to speak Hebrew, and he's got many, uh, several books out. He, he's just a teacher along these lines. And he says the Aaronic blessing from a Hebrew perspective, he says, with the Hebraic understanding of each of these Hebrew words, we can better understand the true meaning of the Aaronic blessing as it was understood by the ancient Hebrews. Well, that is what we want to do. We want to understand what they understood, right? So he goes on and says, Yahweh would kneel before you, presenting gifts, and will guard you with a hedge of protection. 
Yahweh will illuminate the wholeness of his being towards you, bring in order, and he will give you comfort and sustenance. Yahweh lift up his wholeness of being and look upon you, and he will set in place all you need to be whole and complete. When they heard these words, this is how they would have perceived it, according to Jeff Benner here. Now, he, he goes on to say, many people have contacted me about the phrase, kneel before you, as they cannot perceive Yahweh kneeling before us. And we too often see Yahweh as the judge and ruler who sits high above us. But I see more of a family-type relationship with Yahweh rather than a government-type relationship. Yahweh is the father of us all, agreed? Well, if my young son came to me with a request, would I tower over him looking down upon him? Or would I get down to his level by kneeling down and getting eye to eye with him and say, what is it, my son? What can I do for you? Let me add, this is not a literal kneeling down, but a figurative one, the common Hebrew way of expressing an abstract thought through concrete means. So this was his take. This was his understanding of what the Hebrew people would have understood. You know, and I was just thinking about that. Though Yahweh could have said, remember, I want you to bless the, the Israel like this. Remember, I'm the creator. The universe belongs to me. I'm abundant in wealth and majesty and deserve honor. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. He could have said that, couldn't he? And that would have all been true. That's not what he said. This is how I want you to remember me. When you see, when you hear the name Yahweh, this is what I want you to remember. What I have for you. He's not trying to convey his strength of his position. He's trying to convey his heart, his goodness toward his people. Psalm 23, 6 it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. We read Psalm 23 probably hundreds of times. But surely in goodness and mercy will follow me. Do you feel like his goodness and mercy follows you every day? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. If you're human, you probably wonder, where are you at? Where are you at, Father? Nahum 1.7 says, Yahweh is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Exodus 34, 6 says, Yahweh is abounding in loving kindness, which is just another word for goodness. He's abounding in loving kindness. In Psalm 145, 9, it says, Yahweh is good to all, and his mercies were over all of his works. Yahweh is good to all. When I read that, it reminds me of a scripture that says that he even knows when one sparrow falls. He says his mercy is over all of his works, so much so that he knows when even one sparrow falls. We think nothing of a, a dead bird on the road, do we? Or dead sparrow or whatever it is. I mean, there's millions of sparrows. We think nothing of it. But his goodness, he knows when one of them falls. Psalm 107, 8 and 9, it says, Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul 
and the hungry so he is filled with what is good. Let us give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness. All through the scripture, we, can, we read of Yahweh's goodness. Old Testament, New Testament, we read, we read through all this. We see his goodness. In Genesis, we read where, where Yahweh promised Abraham, said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to be a blessing to the whole world through your, through your seed. This, this, this was a plan that Yahweh had to express his goodness again, the goodness of Yahweh. Pursuing his creation again through Yeshua. This wasn't just happenstance. It didn't just, you know, happen this way. It was a plan from the very beginning. Yahweh knows that his fellowship has been severed through disobedience and through sin. So he's going to bless Abraham that the whole world can be blessed and restored and remove that curse of death. Let's turn over to Luke. Uh, 15. <clears throat> Luke 15. <clears throat> with, starting with verse 4. It says, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I'll tell you that in the same way, there would be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this seems like somebody who is pursuing us. Now, just think about it. If you have 99 sheep or 100 sheep, one gets out. Do we really pursue it that much? We might look a little bit in the woods, kick a cactus or something, and look, see if it's behind there. Do we really pursue that one sheep? We just write it off. Well, the coyotes got it, but now I'm sure. Something's already got it. Now, sure says, maybe we just don't have that mentality like that they used to have anymore. <clears throat> Because this was their livelihood. But they go after that, that and they, they leave the 99. I've got all these here. I feel like they're safe. I'm going to go after this one. I'm going to track it down until I find it. I'm going to look earnestly for it. And when he finds it, he rejoices. He rejoices. Now, we might get to find our sheep, you know, out there, all tangled up in briars and what have you, and, and start kicking it and hitting it. And say, you stupid sheep, what is wrong with you? Don't you know better to get out here? <clears throat> but he rejoices over this sheep that he's found. He lays it on his shoulders. And he calls all of his friends together. He says, I want you to rejoice with me. I, I, I lost just one sheep. And they could say, well, you've got 99 more. I mean, what's the big deal? But no, I lost just one sheep. And I found it. Will you rejoice with me? It's such a profound thing, the goodness of Yahweh pursuing us, that he says, I will tell you in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
there's more joy in heaven. Even the heavens rejoice because of that. The heavens, the, you ever think about the host of heaven when somebody gets baptized and, and we're there? And Do you ever think about the host of heaven saying, oh, another one has just committed his heart to me. Committed his heart to the heavenly father. You ever think about the host of heaven doing that? We probably don't too much, but it's what it says here. Yahweh is actively pursuing his, his people. I would encourage you to read all of Luke 15. And it's just over story after story. We're going to flip over, though, to Luke 19. Now, here we are. We have Yeshua going through all the towns and the villages everywhere, and he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's speaking the good news. He's, he's teaching. He's doing all these miraculous things. And people are in wonder. And we get down here to verse 19, and Zacchaeus is kind of, I've heard about this guy. I've heard, I mean, what is it? Is this all this stuff true? So we, we get in, in verse 19, Yahshua says he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Yahshua was. But he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So you can just imagine all this crowd going around, bumping into Yahshua, and, and you know, I mean, all this stuff going. And he couldn't get up there close to him because he was, he was a small guy. He, I mean, he couldn't see over him. He was just a short guy, obviously. But he wanted to see what all the fuss was about. And he ran on ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Yahshua came to the place, he looked, upon, uh, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, that's mean all the astute ones, all the ones who are going to services every day or every week, all the ones who got their act together, when they saw this, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. This holy one, who's supposedly doing all these miracles, is going to be in the house of a sinner. Can you imagine? What hypocrisy. That's probably what they're thinking. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the master, Behold, master, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back four times as much. And Yahshua said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Just like the sheep. We got, we got those in the, in the pen here. We don't have to worry about those. But he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I wonder if there's anybody lost in here today. Is there any sheep in here today that's lost, you reckon? I hope so. Because it's not, what's the point of us talking to each other like this? It's not much point. We don't want a whole building full of the 99, do we? We need people in here 
that can hear the word, that can receive the word. So my takeaway is this, is that, of course, Zacchaeus probably be heard of Yeshua. And he wanted to see what is going on with this guy. I've heard all, this, all these rumors. You know, I, I don't know that Zacchaeus, think about this. I don't know that he really set out to surrender his heart. It doesn't say whether he did or whether he didn't. It doesn't say. But just think about it. Zacchaeus goes. He, he knows he can't see Yeshua. So he goes, and he, he has to climb this tree. Now, Yahshua could have said, could have just, I mean, there's people everywhere, okay? So it's not like he's just one person. But there's people everywhere. Yahshua could have saw him and just kept on going and everything, right? But he didn't do that. Now, if, if, if Yahshua would have just acknowledged, I mean, just seen, looked at him, Zacchaeus may not have even engaged Yahshua. Now, I'm, I'm just surmising all this, okay? <clears throat> but Yahshua calls him by name. It's kind of like he already knew who he was. He calls him by name, and then, guess what he does? He invites himself to his house. <laughs> you ever have anybody just invite themselves to your house? It's not very fun, is it? You know, they just show up, stay for hours. Okay, but Yahshua invites himself to, to his house. Now, I'd be willing to bet, just because I lived a few years, if Yahshua had just walked by, looked up and seen Zacchaeus and just kept walking, that would be the end of the story. But the very fact that Yahshua calls him by name and, says, and, and invites himself to his house, tells me that Yahshua was pursuing somebody. He didn't have to do that. When we get down to the end of this, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Obviously, Zacchaeus was lost. And Yahshua has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I hope he's come to seek and save those who are lost today. Yeshua invites himself to our house. You know that? To your house, regardless of your age, regardless of your education, where you are in, in, in your, your status or whatever you think your status is. He's come to seek and to save. He invites himself to our house. In Revelation 4.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Now, Zacchaeus could have said, I ain't coming down. You know, he could have said that as well. So he had to, he had to open the door, didn't he? He could have said, I ain't, you know, look at me. I mean, I'm a tax collector. I'm, I'm so full of sin. I, I've, been, I've cheated people. I've done this. I've done that. There's no sense in me coming down. You don't want me. I'm too dirty for you. That's not what Yahshua said. Behold, I stand at the door and lock. And if anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come into him and he will dine with me. 
the door of our heart. That's what he's talking about. Not the literal door of your house. He's talking about the door of your heart. Prick in your heart. As Danny talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is the goodness of Yahweh. You know that? When you're uncomfortable, when, when I'm uncomfortable, when I've done something stupid, and I can't sleep at night. Now, let me, let me back up. Not uncomfortable that I'm afraid I'm going to get caught. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. He says, hey, you shouldn't be acting this way. You shouldn't be saying these things. You shouldn't be doing any of this stuff. That is the goodness of Yahweh stirring your heart. He's knocking at the door. We should know that, especially if you're older. You should know that by now. I know it, and you know it, and we still do stupid stuff, don't we? If you're younger, you may not know that. You may think, well, man, maybe I just don't want to get caught. And that may be the reason. You have no intention of turning to the Heavenly Father. But I'm saying that uncomfortable feeling is the goodness of Yahweh. In Romans 2, 4, it says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Do you think lightly of his riches and forbearance and patience, not knowing that Yahweh's righteousness, the kindness, is meant to lead us to, your, to repentance? This patience that he has, this patience that he had with Israel all these years over and over and over again was to lead them back. This convicting spirit is what draws us to him. He doesn't just call one time, knock one time, does he? And he goes away and he's, he's done. You know, many times, and you've, you've probably experienced this maybe, or maybe you just heard others say it, but that, you know, they look back on their lives, they come to, to know the knowledge of the Heavenly Father, and they look back on their lives and they think, wow, now I know Yes, back in 1973, this, this car wreck happened or whatever it may have been. And that I was laying there in the hospital with my leg in traction. And, I, you know, it caused me to think about some things. Where was my life going? But, you know, I got out of the hospital and, and then just forgot about all that. But back in 1994, you know, I got divorced. And then the Heavenly Father... He started speaking to my heart again. So a lot of times, all these, all these steps in our lives, we can look back and say, well, that was the Father working. I see his hand in all these things, all these adversities. I see this. This is the goodness of Yahweh. When we usually give up, you and I would give up on people. Yahweh does not give up, is he? Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, Matthew 18. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came and said to him, Master, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Peter could obviously count to seven. And he knew if he could just get past that seven, he'd be, you know, at least I could do seven. You know, I can forgive somebody seven times. But Yahshua says, nah. 
I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Yahshua wasn't giving Peter a math lesson here, was he? But he was trying to convey his goodness of Yahweh toward us, that he forgives us. In spite of, of, of who we are, in spite of our failures, he forgives us. He says this idea is comparable to the kingdom of heaven. So why so many times? Why does Yahweh put up with our rebellion? Why does he keep doing this? I mean, do you do this? I mean, we want to, you know, we're kind of like Peter. Our human nature, seven times, I'm out. I'm done. Okay? We don't want to do it anymore. It's just too much stress, too much drama. Because the goodness and patience of Yahweh is to lead us to repentance. So does that mean we're just to take advantage of that? Sounds like that's where I'm going, doesn't it? <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> no, in Romans 6, the question is asked, should we continue in sin that grace may increase? And he says, may it never be. As a matter of fact, in, if you were to rewrite this in 2023, you might say, you know, in our, in our modern English slang stuff, you know, that we, we hear all the time, should we continue in sin that grace may increase? And you may say, are you stupid? You might hear that. Come on. May it never be. How can a person who says they have died to sin continue to live in sin? How can a person who says that they are born a male think he's a woman? Are you stupid? Okay? That's not even the message, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, but I'm just trying to, trying to make a point here. It's just absurd to think that we would just continue to live in sin once grace has come. If you come before a judge, the band can kind of make their way if they want to, but if you come before a judge and you're guilty of some offense, now the judge could, at his discretion, he could let you go free, couldn't he? And they do this quite often. They let you go free. Even though you're guilty, the guilt is there. You may have even admitted to it, but he can let you go free. Now, you may go before this judge two or three times, and he may let you go free every time. And you would think in your, yourself, you say, wow, that's a good judge. He has let me go, three, uh, three, let me go free two or three times. That's a good judge. But at some point, this judge is going to have to hold you accountable, isn't he? If he's really a good judge, he's going to have to hold you accountable for your offenses. Now, this is not because he's turned into a bad judge. He's still a good judge. But his goodness was there. Why was his goodness there? Well, you were young. Maybe you were innocent. Maybe you were influenced. Maybe you had the wrong, got into the wrong crowd. But there was there, this goodness, so you can make changes in your life. You can make adjustments with minimal pain. Minimal pain. Okay? Now that you've refused his goodness and you're still guilty, 
He's going to use the consequences of your offenses, which is always there. He's going to use them to put some pain in your life. Why? Because he's a bad judge and he don't like you? No, he's still a good judge. But he's going to put some pain in your life. Sending you to jail, making you pay a fine. Hoping that you will get to understand and turn your life around. This is exactly how Yahweh works. The same principles. We don't ever want to confuse the goodness of Yahweh will extinguish the consequences of sin. It will not. Sin has and always has had consequences of eternal death. But the goodness and the patience of Yahweh has made a way for us to avoid the second death. If we heed His voice, we open the door of our heart. Throughout history, we see Israel all through, all through time, the patience trying to get them to turn, to get them to turn to Him. And He used different means, didn't He? He eventually used invasion of their country, the sword, the famine, slavery even. This was not only the consequences for their sins, but the ultimate goal was to bring them back to repentance, to bring them back to Him because He so loved them. The fellowship on this earth and the fellowship in that kingdom to come. My last scripture here is Hebrews. Hebrews 12. It says, 12 verse 4, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Have you ever resisted to the point of shedding blood to prevent yourself from doing sin? <laughs> Most of us haven't. I think of Joseph when this, you know, when he runs out of the house and leaves his garment behind, you know, that was, that was pretty extreme. But most of us never resist to the point of shedding blood against sin. He goes on to say, Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of Yahweh, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom Yahweh loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. Yahweh deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best of them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline yields fruit of righteousness. That discipline also reconciles us to the Father. So we can hear His voice. We can understand His heart. 
we can understand his goodness. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see. Like a little kid who's on the floor crawling around, and every 30 seconds they're picking up something and putting it in their mouth. You know, they'll, they'll find it. He says, oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. I don't want you to just hear about my glory, about the, the, the cattle in a thousand hills. I don't want you to just hear about that. I want you to know me. I want you to, to know my goodness. Yahweh is good. We can say that proudly, that Yahweh is good. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. He is good. And he is, His mercy, he's just, he's just continuing. If you, feel, if you feel that uncomfortableness, you shouldn't think, well, I'm just, that's quenching the spirit. It's kind of what Danny was talking about last week. That's quenching the spirit. When you, see, when you feel that prompting, and making you uncomfortable, maybe making you sick to your stomach. Oh, I shouldn't be like this. That's the goodness of Yahweh showing himself to you again. May Yahweh bless you.